Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 126, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, Mississippi shocks the nation by being number one in some gains, and did a governor's comments about teachers cost him the election? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, the power of surprise, how surprising a student could change their life. Hello, everybody. Nicole go here, and I'm joined by our favorite principal, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am fantastic today. I love that ring to your name, Nick Ortigo. I guess just years and years of saying it over and over again. Got a nice I don't know if I've ever said this on this show, but you know how like I, I get people to memorize my last name. It's like when you go to McDonald's, do you want that for here or to go? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I never thought about yeah, that. That's, that's usually the device I use to, to help people memorize it. And it works really well. Um, so we are recording this a few days before the big LSU-Alabama football game. So I'm going to make you go on the record right now. and I know It's easy you, to do. Is it? Okay. Yes, it is. All right. Who's going to win? Alabama, baby. Roll Tide. You think so, huh? Indeed. Why, why are you so sure? Well, I'm, I'm an Alabama fan. Okay. I guess I should say I'm a Nick Saban fan. All right. I'm a coach's wife, and I watch coaches. I watch just the impact that they make, how they make decisions under pressure. And Nick is just one cool guy. I guess your husband's probably on the same page with you. Right? I won't say his vote out loud. Okay. Right. Yeah. We don't want to get him in any trouble because he might be, you know, he could end up at one of these schools one day. You never know. Do You never know. All right. We also have a really good friend um, on staff. Well, um, let's go ahead and jump to the teacher's lounge. I know that... Uh, there's some big news for the state of Mississippi. We we try not to be too much of a homer on this show, but this is no. One but this that, is great news. Yeah, I couldn't pass this up. I mean, you know, year after year after year, who's always listed last when it comes to academia and assessment rankings? Yeah, usually it's Mississippi or Alabama it, or Alabama, yeah. and you know. That's that's hard when you know the high quality teaching that's going on in the mm-hmm. classrooms. But I'm super excited. There's new research, new data out, and Mississippi made phenomenal gains on the fourth grade NAEP assessment. I mean, I would almost say shock the country if somebody shock was, the country. If somebody you was really me? looking at it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about it. Where, where did the, we see the growth? Fourth grade specifically. Now, of course, we're still looking at a concerned decline um, with eighth grade, but that's kind of across the nation. But fourth grade is making huge gains. And for our state, I think it's tied to several things. Number one, the major focus on early literacy, putting good measures in place for pre-K and kindergarten students. And then the focus we have on our primary grades, kindergarten through third grade. Of course, the Literacy-Based Promotion Act, which is very controversial. Right. That's what we should probably touch on, right? Yes. But the measures our state have, have that our state has put into place, you're talking about statewide training um, for all primary teachers, um, letters training for, you know, improved literacy instruction, um, 
struggling schools being targeted and given um, literacy coaches provided by the State Department, support for principals. I mean, all of those things have made a huge, huge difference. But I'd like to say the Literacy Based Promotion Act has probably made the greatest difference. Um, it, and this I, is what's also known as like uh, third grade gate, I guess. Is it well, it was called the third grade gate, but mm-hmm. you know, in states, you change the assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, who's providing the assessment? What's the assessment called? It's 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 um, third grade reading map. And if somebody's not keeping up with us, it, we're, we're basically like you don't move on to fourth grade unless well, it, you exactly. Can get past and so, what test. the literacy based promotion act says is that you have to provide high quality instruction for students in kindergarten through third grade. If they look like they're slipping or falling back, you have to put interventions in place and do things to help students be successful. But in the event a child does not score at a pass level on the state reading assessment in third grade, they will be retained. And we want to make sure we understand what pass level means. There are five performance levels on the state assessment. And prior to this year, prior to the 18-19 school year, third grade students were only required to score at at least a performance level two. And that's still basic. That's not proficient. It's not close to proficient at all. And so many school districts saw high percentages of students that, you know, made the required score and they were promoted to fourth grade. But the goal was always to raise the number of students um, at pass level, of course, obviously in the end at proficiency. And so during the 2018-19 school year, our third graders were required to score performance level three to be promoted. And that was tough, Nick. Uh, I, I can't imagine. And in fact, when I heard that they were going to do this, and this was years ago, I remember thinking, well, what's going to happen is you're going to end up with a really large third grade. We like did get a larger number of students being retained in third grade this past year due to that act. Um, and that's the hurtful part about it is there's a law in place that prevents children who passed a course, but maybe had anxiety the day of the test, maybe just didn't feel like putting the best effort in during the writing assessment. I mean, or whatever the reason may be, now they're not being you know promoted and now they're targeted. They're on tier three for, um, you know, MTSS support. And, and it's upsetting the parents, it's upsetting the children. But I also think it creates additional stress for teachers. So, okay, let's let's step aside from that whole part of it. I mean, we saw a lot of wins like around the state. Absolutely. Did, did you experience some? I did. We had the greatest percentage of students scoring PL3 or higher since I've been principal at my school. Well, congrats. Thank you. That's a big deal. And so like, what's that like? I mean, do you get, you know, kudos from your boss? How's that work out? Um, well, yes, you know, we analyze data and, and <clears throat> make all the decisions based on data, but we put a lot of efforts in place. And so we were pretty proud of it. It could have been a higher percentage. Of course, you face the um, students who aren't attending your school 75% of the school year. And if they scored PL3 or proficiency, you didn't get that credit. Mm-hmm. And that happened to us with several students. So that hurt a little bit. But we were quite proud um, of the percentage of students scoring PL3 or higher because what that gives you is a positive outlook for fourth grade growth. I know um, somebody within school status, you know, who sponsors this show, they sent me a little bit of information. I don't want to like dive too much into it because I don't know how much of it, you know, can really be shared. But I'll I'll say it like this. There were a half dozen schools where we saw their 2018 accountability comparison was an F and then jumped to either an A or a B. Due to to the... mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's huge. I mean... It is huge. And so as you start seeing... To me, the gaps closing in kindergarten through second grade, it begins to make a great and positive impact on your test at grade levels. And that's the whole goal. Do you think this can be repeated next year, like seeing this type of growth or 
Growth is hard to repeat, right. but you have to target those children. You have to know what those children need. Um, when they walk in the door, every child has a different need, and you've got to know that and then basically prescribe your instruction for them. When this information was kind of rolling out, this was last week, I think, and there were a lot of news stories about it, you know, out of the Jackson and on the coast, all the newspapers were covering it. Were your teachers, was everyone kind of, you know, walking around? A little more proud? I mean, did you kind of feel that? I think everybody in the state was proud because we get a bad rap. I mean, the history of Mississippi, there's just so many negative, you know, things tied to the state. Um, But that was a win for everyone. And people, believe it or not, in surrounding states want to know what we're doing to improve our literacy efforts. They're visiting our state department. um, They're visiting our campuses. And they're replicating some of the things we have in place. And I don't know how to say this diplomatically, so maybe you can help me kind of stumble through this. I'll try. (laughs) But I'm I'm not – I've been here for 20 years um, or 20-plus years. But I know a lot of really good schools in Mississippi, and I also have been an outsider, and, you, and you know, you're know you on the outside, and you think, oh, yeah, school's horrible down there. But I know a lot of good schools. So it's like, how do we end up so far behind? Is it because there's pockets of just really bad areas, and then there's some really bright spots? like. That's going to be in any state, to be honest with you. Um, You have to think about your high poverty areas. Oftentimes, and what data will show you, high poverty schools are the schools that struggle the most to become high performing. And then your higher economical areas tend to bring children that have a better foundation. Therefore, they score better. Now, there's, you know, every area is going to be different. You also have to look for great leadership. You want to build a great team of teachers and then consistency from the district office level, how they're supporting principals and teachers and how they're providing curriculum and materials. So I just think it just depends on where you are and what your situation is. But everybody in the state is being held accountable. Our teachers are working hard. And I have to be honest with you, those schools who, you know, put so many efforts in place and don't reach their goal. Let me tell you from firsthand experience, it's, it's gut wrenching and you know, the work that you put in, um, but you cannot take the test for the students. They have to be able to build a strong foundation. Let me, let me phrase it like this. I mean, I know you, you actually grew up outside here. You live in California Uh, and I guess Texas, you spent a little time, a little time in Texas, a little time in West Virginia. Right. So you've kind of, you've kind of been around in different school systems. Uh, Would you put, I know your kids go to a really good school, yes. a, a public school in Mississippi. Yes. Would you put a really good public school in Mississippi up against a really good public school in any other state? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, and the reason Absolutely. I, we have a lot of listeners from outside the state, and I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of pushing a little too hard, but I, I think people need to realize that there are very good schools. We in have state. great schools. We have great things going on in the state of Mississippi. They better start paying attention. Right. Well, good stuff. Uh, I really uh, like that story. And I'm glad we've got an expert in the room naturally to really kind of speak um, very coherently about that. Now, were you keeping up with the elections uh, last night around the country? A little bit. Yeah. and A little bit. um, I read Twitter for a while and just, you know, praying that teacher votes showed up where they needed to show up. The the big story when it comes to teachers, in my opinion, really came out of Kentucky. And I didn't realize this was even going on. I was kind of, I didn't know this was happening. And as you all know, the um, by now, the, the incumbent Republican, um, he lost to a Democrat in Kentucky, which was surprising, I think, to a lot of folks in the country. But I didn't realize that he had a really bad track record with educators. Did you know this? Yes, uh, heard about it. Yeah, apparently it was like a point of contention in ads and debates, and it was just brought over and over again. So I kind of started digging around to figure out, like, you know, was this part of the reason 
Well, you look at states like Kentucky and Wisconsin, their teacher base is so strong Mm -hmm. and they're so vocal um, and they fight for what they believe in. And a lot of people don't realize that there are laws in place that actually prevent teachers in Mississippi from going on strike. Um, We have to be very careful about how we express our opinions. Um, it, It could be frowned upon. You don't want your contract terminated. But the best and the only way to truly get your voice heard is to go out and vote. And you got to look at those numbers. Do you think educators, and I'll, I'll get back to the Kentucky governor in a second, but do you think educators in Mississippi are voting um, consistently in their own interest? That's hard to answer, but I would say we really needed to vote yesterday on what was best for the children and the people of the state. But I do believe we voted on our history, what we were raised, believing what we were thinking and who we should support based on party instead of what was best for children. So uh, back to the the governor here in Kentucky, apparently he had been critical of teachers who use sick days over the past two years to rally at the Kentucky Capitol against pension and education proposals that that he supported. And um, he actually even went as far as to like blame traumatic events on these teachers being out of school rallying at the Capitol. I think he said there was um, evidence of a child that had been sexually assaulted while they were protesting at the Capitol. And he also said that a girl who was involved in a shooting in Louisville during the school closing time was basically because the teachers were out and protesting over at the Capitol. I think he later apologized for that one. I, I can't agree with it because whenever a teacher is out for whatever reason, they're supposed to be a qualified ample substitute to replace them. And you can't forget about all of your support staff and where are the principals? Yeah. And then apparently eight days before the election during a debate, he was asked about some of those comments. And then he went on to say, no, quote, no, nothing I have said about educators do I regret, end quote. So he sealed uh, his fate, didn't he? Apparently so. I mean, it kind of feels that way. And I don't, I'm not in the state of Kentucky and I'm sure if we have listeners that are like, you might, you know, there might be other nuances and stuff, but it seems like this was a major sticking point for a lot of people. And you don't have to be an educator to really feel like eh, that's not, that's not really right. Yeah. When you, you know, teachers, it's, we're in a struggle every day for our profession to be respected or people to understand the amount of work, the emotional stress that we take on serving children. And then for, our worth to be debated across the nation um, in regard to what teachers should be paid. I mean, that probably was the straw off the camel's back for them. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Bring it on. Have you ever had a spontaneous event define who you are? It's possible you have and you just didn't recognize it. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to explain how we can use neuroscience to trigger growth mindsets in the classroom. Dr. Michael Rossell is a psychologist and associate professor at Southern Oregon University. Dr. Rossell, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you, and thanks for uh, interviewing me today. I really am pumped up about this because I think it's going to be one of the most thought-provoking interviews we've really ever done on this show. Our audience is mainly K-12 educators. So our goal here today is for them to recognize how they can use the power of surprise to enrich their students' lives. But first, I want you to help me kind of explain and kind of talk broadly here with all of our listeners. How does surprise affect people at all? We may not even realize it. Well, oh yeah, that's a that's a great question because surprise is everywhere. It's pretty much ubiquitous in our life. We uh, we stumble through, or not stumble through our life, but 
when it, there's a surprise, that's actually a stumble because a surprise is an error message saying what you just expected to happen or your predictions, your unconscious predictions as you're going through life suddenly, suddenly don't work. My God, surprise. You know, uh, for instance, if you're, um, <clears throat> if you go outside and you're going to cut your lawn and just as you get in your mower all set, a zebra walks by. Boom. You didn't expect that. The world stops. You look at the zebra, everything stops. What just happened? So surprise is essentially an error signal. Now, um, those aren't the kind of surprises that I study, but those are the kinds of surprises that we tend to think of when we think of surprise. But we can surprise is also uh, because it's an error signal. It's a, basically a message that tells you you better learn instantly and change what you believe. Now, here's an example of uh, the kinds of surprises I study. You know, we can see a, a zebra walking down the street and we'll be surprised, but it's not going to change us. <clears throat> you know, we can go to Starbucks and uh, a friend walks in who we thought was in Europe and we're surprised, but it doesn't change us. But a surprise to something we believe about ourselves can have a dramatic effect. And here's an example that just happened to me recently. I, I did a, a TEDx talk and uh, I thought it went pretty well. I only really had one criticism. And I thought my pauses were too long and it, and it interfered with my message and it was a bit of a distraction. So fast forward a couple of months after it's published and I'm working with this author in uh, London, England. And he says, hey, Mike, I, uh, I just watched your TED talk and I thought it was really interesting, very profound. And uh, one thing I sure noticed was your use of the pause, you are masterful with your pause. <laughs> Boom. That really surprised me. Now, here's what, here's what surprise does when it happens to you about something you have. It's a belief. Now, prior to that event, I used my pauses. You know, I was hesitant with them. I was not very confident. But now, in that moment, I became the master of the pause. So now when I pause... I'm pretty comfortable with it. I'm not a neuroscientist, but I have studied formative moments and formative events for over three decades now. And so what I do is I, I, have, I read stories, I listen to uh, podcasts of people, of celebrities. I ask my students, what was an event that stood out in your life and how did it change you? And I've been doing this for over 30 years now. And I looked at the neuroscience and the cognitive aspects of formative moments. And what I found was that they were almost always an elevated emotional response. And so that, that's where I w wrote my first book. It was called Sudden Influence, How Spontaneous Events Shape Our Lives. And I'd come to the conclusion that during moments of elevated arousal, we're susceptible to influence. But since then, for the last five years, I've found that almost exclusively the moments were, that changed us were surprise moments. And so I started studying, studying surprise exclusively about five years ago. And lo and behold, when you look at the science of surprise, it really is kind of fascinating. Yeah. And, and if, if you'll let me jump in, I was actually just about to lead to that. Like there really is a science behind surprises. We're hardwired to learn from surprise, correct? That is correct. But let's, let's look at dopamine for a minute. Neuroscientists out of Manchester, particularly uh, Dr. Mark Humphreys, 
has found, and he works exclusively with dopamine. And dopamine has uh, basically the slow dopamine and there's fast dopamine. And the slow dopamine is basically a reward predictor. We like a nice, even, smooth reward dopamine in our system. And that means things are pretty much going the way you expected throughout your day. Uh, When things uh, aren't going the way you like it, your dopamine drops a little bit. When things are going well, and it looks like, oh, there's possibility something good happening there, your dopamine rises a little bit. And here's an example of how dopamine might work. So if if you're hungry and you're walking down this town and you think, okay, I need a bite to eat, and you look in a diner. And as you look in the diner, it looks dirty, dingy. The windows are a little, little uh, unwashed. Uh, there's not very many people in there. And the servers don't look very interested. So your dopamine just drops a little bit because your dopamine is your reward predictor. It's a motivator neuro, um, neurotransmitter. So you walk across the street. <clears throat> and when you walk across the street, you look in the mirror, you look, excuse me, you look in the, in the glass and you look at the menu and the menu looks good. And you look inside, there's a lot of people they are eating food. The servers look friendly and happy and your dopamine rises just a little bit. It's predicting you're probably going to have a decent meal here. Now, how this works in the classroom is pretty clear too, because uh, ima- imagine little, uh, I'll use my name, little Mikey, and I'm eight years old and I'm doing some math. And as I'm doing math, I'm in bed. Inevitably struggling, I'm learning something new. <clears throat> and as I'm working on my little math project, the teacher sees that I'm struggling, walks by, and just gives me a little passing comment. Oh, Mike, you sure struggle with math. And then she walks away. Now, what happens is you sure struggle with math. So now I'm a math struggler. So my dopamine level just drops a little bit. It's predicting that, oh, I'm just going to struggle. So my reward isn't that good. So let's fast forward a couple of years and now I'm in fifth grade and it's time for math. Well, my dopamine, oh, here we go. My dopamine level drops a little bit and I'm a little discouraged because, you know, I struggle with math. So it's easy to give up. Why spend too much cognitive resources here? Why work too hard in the homework? After all, I struggle with math. It's a waste of time. Now, let's go back a couple years to when Mike was initially struggling with math. And as I'm struggling with math, an enlightened teacher, someone like you, Nick, walks by and sees me struggling with math and says, Hey, Mike, the way you stick with it when you work hard at math is a sure sign of a strong learner. And you just walk away. Boom. Hey, what after my dopamine level? Well, I'm still going to struggle with math, but I'm going to stick with it. Why? Because I'm a strong learner. So even though math is still difficult for me, like it is for everybody who's learning something new, I'm more likely to stick with it because that's the sign of a strong learner. So my dopamine rises a little bit. So fast forward a couple of years to hear him in the fifth grade and it's time for math. I may not be entirely happy about math, but I think, okay, but I'm a strong learner. So we have these simple little comments that teachers use all the time, and they create mindsets, and these mindsets perpetuate themselves. Well, so how is this different from from a teacher just walking up and giving praise? Is it the same thing, or is it a little bit more strategic than that? 
Now, with surprise, there's the, there's the slow surprise that, w- that we're talking about here, and then there's the fast surprise. Now, when we're surprised, the fast-acting dopamine is this boom, big burst. It's this error signal. So a big surprise is a big error s- signal. And Schultz out of uh, Cambridge has shown us that surprise, this big burst of dopamine, is essentially a two-phase burst. The first bur- burst says, stop what you're doing, pay close attention, alert, alert, alert. And that happens no matter what the surprise is, if it's a big surprise. That only lasts a couple of milliseconds. So the second one is figure out what just happened and learn instantly. And the reason we learn instantly is because our ancestors, when they were surprised, it was it was usually an imminent danger or immense opportunity. And those that stopped to think, is that a tiger? Those that stopped to think perished or missed their opportunity. So we are, are genetically endowed with this learn instantly during a moment of surprise. Uh, so Nick, when you're passing by that student and you say, your ability to struggle and stay with it is a sure sign of a strong learner. That's a great comment to mention to that student. If you surprised that student, then they automatically get this huge burst of dopamine. Uh, All this emphatic cognitive hardware takes place and these pathways form and you have a brand new mindset in a moment. And that's what surprise can do. Surprise boosts everything, boosts belief formations dramatically because of this big, powerful dopamine, this fast-acting first phase of dopamine. I think all of us have probably affected somebody else in this way or have been affected by somebody in this way at some point, but we just weren't aware that that's what we were doing. Like We may have complimented somebody at a time and caught them by surprise and, and it had an everlasting impact on them. How important is it for us, especially educators, to to be aware of this potential impact? <laughs> well, I think it's immensely important. Uh, and well, I, I'm totally uh, embedded in my own work here. But I, I, uh, I teach it to my students. <clears throat> and they go out there and they uh, try it, test it on their students, their students in turn in, in the and, and they come back and they're excited about the effects that it can create. <clears throat> now, you don't always see effects because what you're doing is you're planting seeds. Now, uh, you may not, uh, remember little Mikey working on his math. You may not see the results of that. And Mikey may not even notice the results of that. We just have the science that tells us that this is what happens. And so we don't always get to think back and where did I first become a strong learner? We may not even recall that event ourselves. But um, because I've got thousands of stories of these, sometimes we do recall that moment where everything changed for us. For instance, I was talking to, um, to Cindy, and Cindy told me that when she was, when she was younger, she used to write her, uh, her tests very slowly. And she always thought that was a sign of lack of intelligence because she was writing her tests so slowly. And she was in the library and uh, writing the tests like everybody else and she was the last one to finish and she was very nervous and she was anxious and of course we all know that when you're nervous anxious uh, you're not going to perform better or at your peak and so there she was feeling bad about taking so long being anxious and the librarian walks by and says to her wow your ability to work thoroughly 
It's a sure sign of a strong learner. You got a lot of grit, girl. <laughs> Surprise. That comment surprised her. And she remembered it. And she said, ever since that comment from that librarian, now when she takes her time, she does it happily and strategically because that's the sign of intelligence and grit. And after all, she's got grit. How do you make those moments authentic? And how do you create that element of surprise so it feels genuine? Okay, well, uh, those are two very good points. So let me just parse them out a little bit. How how do you uh, how do you make them genuine? How do how do they, how do you make them sound authentic? Well, um, first of all, you just you you remember why you became a teacher. You became a teacher because you saw the potential in every student, and that potential was for you to foster and polish and bring to the surface. And that was, that was why you became a teacher in the first place. So when everything you see, no matter what it is that you see from your students, that's a strength they have, and they might, may not even recognize it. The student who struggles with math and sticks with it, well, that's a sign of grit. Someone who uh, is looking out the window when you're talking, uh, are they being distracted or are they using their imagination? So if you say to that student who's looking out the window, your ability to think deeply or your ability to use your imagination, you're not entirely sure what that person's doing. But if you put a spin on it, if you call it a resource, the simple act of calling it a resource makes it so. And so you, when you name a student's behavior as a positive resource, you, you're actually engaging the student to think of it in that way. And if you surprise the student by doing that, it becomes an instant new belief. Sadly, it can also become a negative belief if we do this in a destructive, even if we're not malicious with it. So, the, so what teachers need to do is focus on the positive, look at every, everything students bring to the table as being resourceful for, for that student. You've been studying this um, for a while. Um, you, you, it looks like, I, I think you're the last book you wrote about, um, 10 years ago or so. And, and I, I think you have a new book coming out, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, 2007 was my first book and I have a new book. It's not, uh, coming out yet, but it'll be on the power of surprise. Why has this been such a mission for you? Gosh, that's a, that's a really complex question. Um, uh, I, uh, because, because I had, uh, two, uh, learning disabilities when I was younger. I had ADHD and I had a reading dis disability. And um, so school was very difficult for me. Uh, I couldn't read very well, so I didn't learn very well, or so I thought. And um, because I was ADHD, um, I was never the teacher's favorite, right? Because the one who's always, you know, talking out of turn or getting out of their desk and doing things and so I was uh, I wasn't a favorite by any of my teachers and uh, so by the time I hit high school my final year of high school I was I was so angry at being a student I just I hated it I hated everything about teaching I hated everything well I wasn't a teacher I hated everything about schools because schools were very difficult for me learning was very difficult for me and in my final year of teaching or excuse me, uh, being a student in my, uh, I was uh, 
was in a health class and the teacher said, okay, today we're talking about what we're going to do after high school. What's everybody going to do? And, uh, you know, he looked at me and he said, hey, Rosel, what are you going to do after high school? I said, heck, I don't know. Uh, I'll just get a job, make some money, buy a car. No, no, really, Rosel, what are you going to do after high school? Well, I kind of had this psychic break, right? I stood up and I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to all the radio stations. I'm going to go to the TV. I'm going to go to the newspapers. I'm going to all the media and I'm media and I'm going to tell everybody in the world what's really going on in schools. Schools are horrible. They treat you horrible. It's like going to prison. Do this, do that. Nobody cares about you. It's just a horrible place. And I'm going to let everybody know. And he looked at me calmly and he said, Russell, if you want to change education, you can't do it by complaining about it. You got to do it from the inside. You're going to have to become a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a cool story. It's a, yeah, it's a fun story. And I thought he was nuts, right? But it was a surprise. And I hadn't begun to study surprise back then. And lo and behold, uh, you know, I struggled with learning, couldn't get into university. And eventually I got in through, you know, through a little back door and, I didn't do well in university, got kicked out. And, uh, and then somebody said one day to me, that uh, was my mother-in-law, she said, hey, you've got the skill set. I think you'd be a good teacher. Boom. Got back into university for the first time in my life. I excelled. And, you know, it's just uh, here I am now, 40-some years later, after 40, a career in education and uh elementary school teacher, a middle school teacher, a high school teacher, and now a university professor. Well, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Russell, it really is awesome. If somebody wants to keep up with you and, and learn more about the power of surprise, what's a good way to do that? Uh, well, you can, you can go to my uh, TEDx talk, TEDx Salem, and um, if you need a review of the kind of the message I'm saying here, uh, I, I have... Um, Several articles I've written about this and an upcoming book, but the book won't be out for a couple of years. Uh, it's, it, I can't even tell you the publisher right now. And, um, but uh, I, I can send you a few of my publications that might in interest your uh, listeners, and you can put them up on your uh, uh, listener notes. And, and you have a website as well, correct? I have a website. The website is myname.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. R O U S E L L dot com. And it's not always up to date. I try to get everything in there as fast as possible. But if you go there from time to time, you can get caught up. I think that's all of us. We all try to keep our websites up to date. And sometimes that is a constant struggle. So, so I feel your pain there a little bit. Um, are you ready for our pop quiz? Oh, gosh. I am ready. I'm all fired up. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, I'd go to science. I, I, would, I wouldn't have answered that question when I was a student, but now I'm thoroughly involved, uh, happily to go to science, particularly biology. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Relationships. And what's a healthy relationship look like and how to make them? What does every child deserve? Every child deserves some a teacher who cares about finding their hidden resources and their strengths. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? All the paperwork, all the, the it seems, accountability that 
takes so much time and interferes with classroom work. What's the best gift to give an educator? A note. A note that says, thanks, you've been a big help, a big influence with my son or daughter. And, and just a little description how. Which teacher changed your life? Gosh, uh, my third grade teacher. Because I always had uh, so many struggles as a, 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 a two learning disabilities, she didn't care. All she saw was an energetic young student who was eager to learn. And I was eager to learn in her class because of that. And last question, pen or pencil? Oh, I'm a pencil guy. I like the pencil. I make a lot of errors. <laughs> All right, Dr. Michael Roussel. Again, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. If you want to catch up with him, uh, you can head over to his website, michaelroussel.com. Um, and of course, I'll put all that in our uh, show notes as well. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Nick. It was great. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.